Father, we ask that above all else this morning, would you help us to see this Jesus who stands before your throne, who intercedes for us? Help us to see this Jesus who has even walked in weakness so that he could be made like us. Help us to see the one who has gone ahead of us for our salvation. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So first of all, we were out of town for a few weeks. We were back last Sunday, but I was basically a ghost of a person out of all, after all the traveling. We're just really grateful for you guys. We missed being here for those two Sundays that we were gone. So we're constantly struck and grateful for how loved we feel when we're here. All right, so with the mushy stuff out of the way, thank you, but I'm outraged because I get this last sermon in this whole series about the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is awesome. It's got all these high points in it. Stephen started us off with this sermon about Jesus being greater than Moses. That's the right page. Stephen, or Jesus being greater, not Stephen, Jesus greater than Moses. <laughs> Moses, who was faithful in all of God's house as a servant, but Jesus faithful in God's house as a son. Jesus leading God's people into this promised rest that's even better than Israel's promised land. It's an awesome passage, Hebrews 3. I didn't get that one. And then Stephen got Hebrews, I think it was Hebrews 4, got to preach about how Jesus is our great high priest who's passed through into the heavenly places, gone into the holy places, and so because of that, we have this confidence to draw near to God's throne. That was supposed to be my week to preach, and Stephen took it. So that was Stephen's. I'll pick on Eric. Eric got to preach on Jesus' priesthood, how it's greater than the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament, because Jesus doesn't die. He continues as priest forever, always able to intercede for us. Jesus has no guilt, so he doesn't have to make atonement for his own sins, not like the other priests. That's a great passage. Eric got that one. All these passages, Jesus is greater than this and greater than that and greater than that. I don't even get a boy band mic this morning. You get all these other passages like Hebrews 10, which is what I thought I was going to get when I saw Hebrews 10. It talks about Jesus making the once and for all final sacrifice, so there's no other sacrifice. That's a great passage. All these high points in Hebrews pointing to the same idea. All of this history of God and his people pointing to this salvation through Jesus. Moses, priesthood, sacrifices, temple, promised land, all these things, all these things on earth that were visible to God's people pointing to this salvation for God's people through Jesus' sacrifice, pointing to this Jesus who was coming, pointing to this inheritance for God's people that Jesus shares with us, pointing to a place for God's people in the heavenly places, in God's presence, because Jesus has gone there before us. I don't even get Hebrews 11. It talks about all the heroes from the Old Testament, all the, the hall of faith, like Moses and Abraham and Enoch. No, I get this passage where basically the author of Hebrews says, Remember when you guys used to be better? Couldn't you be better again? That was great. It's a word to normal people about normal people. It's not about heroes of the faith. It's not about angels. It's not about Melchizedek, the cotton-eyed Joe of the Old Testament. Where'd he come from? Where'd he go? It's just about normal people who are quivering under all this pressure. And even more than that, and this is what is so beautiful about it, 
It's an opportunity for us to actually kind of see on the ground what the author of Hebrews has been getting at this whole time. Because it's where all this greater than and greater than and greater than really touches the ground for the audience of the book of Hebrews. Even in the middle of something dark. The author of Hebrews knew that his audience needed to see this Jesus who was greater than all these other things but who had also passed through darkness to get to the heavenly places. They needed to see a Jesus who had gone through struggle because they were in struggle. The other beautiful thing about this passage is that this word to these normal people is actually an invitation also for us to see ourselves and to see where this whole huge cosmic argument that the author of Hebrews has made really touches the ground in our own hearts and in our own lives. So he starts off this this paragraph by saying, remember the early days. Remember the former days. Look back to that time when you were new Christians, but you were being persecuted. And you stood up to it. You were suffering. You were humiliated in public. And when your brothers and your sisters and your neighbors were suffering, you stood with them. You didn't run away from it. You stood with them. Even when they were imprisoned, you ministered to them. Remember, these Christians that he's talking to right now, they're on the verge of giving in under persecution. They're on the verge of going back to what's safe and familiar because it's easier. But his reminder for them is, don't you remember? Don't you remember the marks of God's grace that were all over you? Don't you remember how you had been transformed? Look what they had been transformed into. God had made them new, and he had made them to look like Jesus. Walk with me a second so we can see exactly what I mean there. One of the big themes in Hebrews, right? Jesus is greater, right? Greater than, greater than, greater than. But one of the themes that runs under that is that Jesus' path to this greatness might not have been what you expect. There's that whole list of greater than sermons that I didn't get to preach. I skipped one. Stephen's very first one on Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 shows us that this path that Jesus took to greatness is not the one that you might expect from this all-powerful creator of all things. It says things that are actually a lot more difficult to get your head around. Like Jesus was obedient through suffering. The Son of God obedient through suffering. It says that he took on human nature so he could even endure temptation. The Son of God enduring temptation like we do. Jesus took on flesh, nerves and everything, so that he could hurt, so that he could be in pain, so that he could suffer like we do. He took a human life so that the immortal God could lose it. He took on a human life so he could lose that life and then take it back up again so that he could give that new life to us. He became like us so he could sympathize with our weakness because he's known it. He's been there. There's a verse in chapter 2 that says, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. In every respect. Jesus' road to this greatness was the road of humiliation and suffering. And it's on that road that he joined us, walking on that road with us, running that race with us and before us. 
So we talk about this transformation that these people had had when they were baby Christians, right? Well, we talked about characters in, in Hebrews like Moses and Melchizedek being types of Jesus, right? Or images of Jesus that foreshadow this Jesus that is to come. We've talked about earthly things that are like types or shadows or images of these things that are true in the heavenly places. Here's something beautiful that he doesn't say outright, but that's true. These normal people, God has transformed them into types of Jesus, into images of Jesus, because they're reflecting his character. They're doing the things that Jesus does, right? So he says, people saw you when you were abused and when you were persecuted. What they saw in you when you stood up to that was they saw Jesus, because Jesus walked through that. He said, you didn't just suffer, you suffered with joy. You suffered joyfully. This is a joy that shares in Jesus' joy. There's a verse that's coming up at the beginning of chapter 12 that talks about Jesus being obedient to the point of death, obedient to the cross for the joy that's set before him. Here he says, you went through these hard times and you did it joyfully because you knew that there was a reward in front of you. That's God's people looking like Jesus, being transformed into the likeness of Christ. You knew that that something greater that was ahead of you overshadowed the pain of your present. So even though it hurt, you went through it. For the joy set before you, just like Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. And you did all of this because you knew that Jesus' joy belonged to you, was given to you. Because you knew that this Jesus who is now seated at the right hand of the Father is sharing his inheritance, the inheritance of the Son of God with you. You did it because you knew that his reward was yours. So he says, remember the former days. Remember the days when God had transformed you and you looked so much like Jesus. That you, it's these people who are quivering now under pressure, might even look like they're about to to give it up and run away, to put it down. Remember the former days. I think there are three layers to this encouragement that he gives them. Part of it is that when you were baby Christians, like you didn't even know what you were doing, brand new, God gave you this incredible strength and endurance under pressure and you stood up to it. He even gave you the strength and the ability to radiate the character of Jesus, even when you were brand new Christians. And everyone saw it. They saw you go through this pain with joy. There's another another layer to this that says, even in this darkness, you know the character of the one who walks with you because you've even shown it yourselves. You yourselves have been evidence of his faithfulness and his goodness. And then underneath that one is just the simple fact that if he held you up when you were babies, he was faithful when you were brand new Christians and you went through so much, what makes you think he's not going to hold you up now? That God who was faithful then is certainly going to be faithful now. I said before that this passage is in a lot of ways an invitation for us to see ourselves and where this whole huge argument kind of takes root in our own hearts. Here's here's a place where I hope we can see ourselves. I hope that we, like they, can look back in our lives and remember the places where God is faithful, where we can see how God's, the marks of God's grace are on us, see the ways that he has transformed us and made us new. Can you remember the times when God was faithful when you were in need? How he provided, how he held you up when you thought that you were going to fall, how he even waited with you when it felt like you couldn't put another foot in front of the other. Can you remember? One of the ways that we like to say this is simply remember your baptism. 
Remember that God has given you a new place in his own family, life in Christ, a new reward. I think sometimes, though, the reality is that we struggle to be able to say that we can remember. On the one hand, you might, be able not, you might not be able to say that you can remember because you don't know this new life. And if that's you, I'll just say that this entire book, the book of Hebrews, screams to you that the door to this life is open. Jesus has made the final sacrifice to cover your sins. Jesus has made the sacrifice to make you clean. The door is wide open for you to go with him into God's presence. So if you don't know this life, if this life isn't yours, I'll say that to you as an invitation. Or it may just be that times are dark for you and you legitimately just can't see. You can't remember. Maybe you know that these things are true. Maybe you even remember, but you can't like feel it, right? It doesn't feel very heavy in your heart. Maybe you can remember, but that seems like another life that someone else lived. It doesn't feel like your life now. I would wager that many of the hearers of this letter found themselves in that exact same place. So the author of Hebrews, his word to us when we're there, his word to his audience here, is endurance. For you have need of endurance. Remember for these guys, all these pressures of persecution and hardship had just knocked them on their back. And so they're thinking, well, if this is you know, people use the analogy of a race all the time. Author of Hebrews is going to use the analogy of a race. If this is a race, I'm not winning it. I'm losing it. I'm not even moving. I'm just stuck. And with that in mind, it might seem a little bit off for the author of Hebrews to call them out and tell them, no, you need endurance. Come on, try harder. Just stick it out to the end. Aaron, that's bad coaching, isn't it? If someone can't run to tell them to just, yeah, okay. Like, why does he tell these people who seem to have no confidence left, don't throw away your confidence? You should have told me that last week. It's gone. Why does he tell them that like they still had any left? Now, if we see this in the context of the rest of the letter, this makes a lot more sense. This is not about stirring up some sort of faithful bravado or self-assurance, or persuasion. When he says confidence in our passage here, don't throw this confidence away. He's pointing backwards to something that he just said before in verse 19. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us. This confidence is not some sort of assurance that we stir up or cultivate in ourselves. It's not even a confidence in our own faith. It's just Jesus. Our confidence is in Jesus. Jesus is our confidence. He has already opened the way. So when he says, don't throw it away, he's saying there's no other path. Don't go anywhere else. There's nowhere else to go. Don't throw away that confidence. Sure, maybe you feel like, okay, but right now that way is not working. Like it feels too hard. There's got to be something else I'm supposed to do. There's got to be somewhere else I'm supposed to go. Hebrews says no. The way is open. That's the only way, and Jesus has brought you in. I'm glad that his word is not explore. Go find a new way. It's not level up. It's not achieve something new or attain something that you haven't yet attained. It's just endure. Wait. 
be patient. Hold on. Stephen has said over and over during these sermons, salvation comes to those who wait on the Lord. Wait. Now, you could point to the next chapter, uh, the, the, the one about the race, and be like, aren't we supposed to be like those guys? Like Abraham or Moses? Those guys who persevered all the way to the end, those guys that are like supposed to be our exemplars for what the life of faith is supposed to be like? Yes, but the end of that story actually tells us what that means. It wasn't Abraham's grit or determination that finished the job. It wasn't Moses's either. There's actually a really interesting verse in chapter 11 that says, all of them, by faith, lived their whole lives looking forward to this reward, but only seeing it from a distance. Greeting it from afar is what he says. In other words, they sought it their whole lives, but they never actually got there. They never actually found the thing that they were looking for. It's Jesus, the author and perfecter of of our faith, the founder and finisher of our faith, who actually runs that race all the way to the end. So if you want to think of this like a bike race, it's like a draft pack where Jesus is pulling everyone, but it's even more than that. Abraham, Moses, Enoch, they arrive at the finish line. They get to the end, not because of their own strength, but it's because their faith in God's promises has tied them to their champion. And it's Jesus who pulls them all the way to the end. It's Jesus who actually finishes the job so the prize money, the reward can be released. It's Jesus who shares the reward with all the ones that he's brought with him. It's Jesus, the one who's perfect in weakness, whose strength prevails for the rest of us. It's Jesus who suffered, chapter 2 says, so many sons and daughters can be brought to glory. It's Jesus whose endurance carries us, even when we're knocked on our backs. Jesus is that confidence, the coming one who will come and will not delay. And here's what's so beautiful about it. This is where it touches the ground here. He didn't do it by some sort of divine decree from like really far away. He didn't do it with a snap of his fingers. He did it, and this is on purpose, by walking in our weakness and suffering. He did it so that in the middle of our own weakness and suffering, in the middle of our own darkness and struggle, we would be able to hear from God's word and from each other that Jesus walks through those things with us, that Jesus has already walked through those things, already walked through that path of darkness all the way to the end, even through the valley of the shadow of death, all the way to the end for us. This is why the author of Hebrews has painstakingly made this huge case all the way through this letter. The one who's greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than the Old Testament priesthood, greater than Melchizedek, greater than everything else, has opened a way for his people by walking through the same darkness that we walk through. So the audience for Hebrews and we can know for certain that whatever trials we pass through, those trials don't mean that Jesus is absent. Instead, we know that There's someone who actually knows what it's like to struggle pleading our case before the Father. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness because he's been there, obedient all the way through it. And he is our confidence. He is our endurance. 
was looking for some sort of point of application to finish with, and you can't top what he gives. Endure. Wait. Be patient, but cling to him. There is no other way. If you turn from him, there's nowhere else to go. But if instead you cling to the one who clings to you so tightly, he won't fail you. Where you're weak, where it feels like you can't carry on, where it feels like you can't put another foot in front of the other, you can know Jesus has gone there before you. The one who is greater than everything else in the Old Testament, the one that all of that points to, has walked where you walk. He's suffered, he's hurt, and he's even died. But he's risen from the dead and given us this new life, this new inheritance, this reward that belongs to him. Even in the midst of darkness, this is our confidence. Amen.